Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. We're studying the book of Colossians, and um, this series is Jesus Is. And just for a little bit of context for everybody today, um, this we call it a book, the book of Colossians, but it's one of those books that if you had an assignment in school and it's like read a book of the Bible, you'd probably choose it. Why? Because it's short. It's a very short book because it's a letter. And it's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote it from prison and he wrote it um, to this church in the town of Colossae. And um, they're a pretty newish church, probably consisted of two, three, four, five households maybe. Um, So the church is actually a lot smaller than we are. And um, the Apostle Paul put this letter in the hands of a guy called Epaphras, um, who is from the town of Colossae. He actually planted that church and he takes it back to them. And the way it would work back then is they'll bring a letter and then they'll just speak the letter um, to the people who belong to that church and maybe explain some parts. And um, the purpose of the letter was to provide some direction, some teaching, but also encouragement. Yeah, sometimes we just need to be encouraged. Amen. And I find it interesting that at the heart of this letter, at the very heart of it, It's all about explaining who Jesus is. And I think that if you're struggling and you need encouragement, there is nothing better for your soul than greater revelation of who Jesus is. And the Apostle Paul knew this, and that is why he's talking about Jesus in this letter. You know, I'm not sure what you do when you feel overwhelmed. Um, Maybe for some of the adults in the room, it's an extra wine with dinner. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe it's planning the next holiday to give you some hope. I don't know. But we need to understand that those things, they're band-aids. What we need is we need greater revelation of who Jesus is. Come on. Um, so today we are continuing on this series. And I'm going to start off by reading from John, the book of John. Series on Colossians. I'm going to start in the book of John. <laughs> so I'm going to read from chapter 3. And this is what Jesus says um, from verse 16. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. One of the key themes in this letter, this book of Colossians, is salvation. If this message had a title, it would be Jesus is salvation. A year ago, I made a big financial decision for me and my small family of two. And that was to buy an Xbox One. (laughs) It took a lot of prayer and fasting. And um, the reason I did this was because this time last year, guys, it was hardcore lockdown. You may remember. And I, there was nothing to do. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get an Xbox. And I justified it. I was peer pressured by people at church, believe it or not. Um, Did you know that these days uh, with gaming, you can actually like play online and it it can become a social thing. So I was actually playing online with some guys from church, which is pretty cool. Um, There's someone in the room right now who's looking at me smiling. He's one of those guys. Uh, So yeah, that that was awesome. But you know, to be honest, um, I haven't played it for the last three months, which is probably a good thing because I'm 28 and you know, I got to grow up a little maybe. Um, But uh, 
you know, the reason I'm not playing it right now isn't because my wife told me off and said, you can't stop playing that. She's amazing. Um, it was actually because I kind of just fell out of love with it. You know, I was obsessed with it when I first got it. I had some late nights playing that thing. But uh, now, honestly, the novelty has worn off. And in life, it's interesting how the novelty can wear off on some things. And that can be a good thing. It can prevent addiction and wasting time. <laughs> but there are other things that, where the novelty should never wear off, but it can. Um, here are some examples of things where the novelty should never wear off. Your kids, for the parents. Like, you can't allow the novelty to wear off with your kids. I know it could be tempting to wake up one day and go, guys, see you later. Um, but the novelty should never wear off when it comes to your kids. Another example, and I understand that there are different people have, you know, life journeys and different things happen, but, you know, when it comes to your spouse, you, you probably shouldn't allow the novelty to wear off when it comes to your spouse, yeah? I've been married for two years and I, I understand things at the moment, it's very easy, you know, we've only been gone for two years, but I understand, you know, I'm go, I'm, I need to invest into that thing, you know, in order that the novelty doesn't wear off. So there are things where it's okay for the novelty to wear off. There are things where it's not okay for the novelty to wear off. Put, a, put up your hand if you would say that, yeah, you're, you're probably a follower of Jesus. Just a small little like this. No, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know, if you have been saved, there is something that you have. There is a thing in your life that is greater than anything else, right? It is so amazing. And yet for so many of us, honestly, I think we can allow the novelty to wear off on this thing. What I'm talking about is our salvation. Yeah. It's like, man, it is so sad when the novelty starts to wear off with our salvation. We can start to become desensitized to just how amazing it is and we can start to take it for granted. And um, the Apostle Paul knows this and he's reminding the Colossians of how great their salvation is. And this is what he says um, in chapter 1, verses 13 to 14. He has this to say about salvation. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul says, You have been delivered. Other translations say rescued. Someone said amen, and that is an amen. Like, you have been rescued. Now, if I was a Colossian in the town of Colossae, when things are really difficult, there's persecution, it's tough, I would have been thinking to myself, gosh, man, you know what? This guy, Paul, is saying that I've been rescued, but I don't really feel rescued. You know, I don't feel very delivered. And this is the first thing that we need to understand about our salvation. And that is, although salvation changes our identity, it doesn't change our residency. So when we gave our life to Jesus, we belonged to the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness. Okay, this is what Paul says. He says, but you were rescued out of that and you were transferred, delivered into the kingdom of his beloved son. So you used to belong there, the kingdom of darkness. Now, now you've been moved to the kingdom of God. Now, the thing about this move, this transfer, this rescuing, it's spiritual, not physical. So you used to live in this dark place and your identity was actually in that place. You belong there. But when you gave your life to Jesus spiritually, now you've shifted, you've moved. Now your identity 
is within the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. This is where you belong now. But here's the thing. You still live in a dark environment, in a dark world, and that causes a lot of tension, which means you need to adjust from the dark to the light. You need to adjust. Um, I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the middle of the night and I need to go to the toilet, I would prefer to navigate my way all the way to the toilet without turning on the lights. Any other people like that in the room? I'm one of those people. And it's a real bummer for me because I don't have an ensuite. So I literally do need to go to the other side of the house to find the toilet. And um, the reason I don't turn on the lights, it's because it's like blinding in the middle of the night when you turn the lights on. It feels like it's burning holes in your retinas. So you'd prefer just to leave them off. You know, I think sometimes what Christians can tend to do is leave the lights off after they get saved. And they prefer not to adjust to the light, even though, even though their identity is now in the light. Why? Because it's painful. That transitioning, that change, you know, it can be a painful transition. Um, it can be difficult. But we need to adjust to the light. It's so important. You know, you used to belong to the dark, but now you do belong to the light. So you must, you must, you must transition. You need to make the adjustments, no matter how hard it may seem. Now, I was thinking about this and I thought to myself, surely there's a name for a type of person who gives their life to Jesus and now their identity is now within the light, but they prefer to leave the lights off because adjusting to the light is really difficult. I'm like, surely there's like a Christian, theological, Christianese name for it. So I went looking. There isn't one. So I've invented one. It's called being a dodgy Christian. Okay, I just saw one person scrunch their face up like that. Um, now, I feel like I can talk about this because I've been one of them before. Yeah, I've been that person before. And here's the thing about living the life of a dodgy Christian. Um, it can be easier because there's less pain adjusting to the light. So it can feel easier, right? And you're like, I'm saved, it's all good. But over time, long term, it actually hurts you way more it actually ends up being a lot worse for you. So I don't know where you're at at the moment, but everyone here in the room, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been saved, you need to know this, and that is you belong to the light. You are not, you, stop acting like a dodgy Christian. If you feel like you are at the moment, you belong to the light. That is where your identity is. So start living in line with that. It is so important after salvation for us to adjust to our new kingdom. Some fail to do this, and like I said, we end up living like illegal immigrants, belonging to God's kingdom, but spending all of our time in Satan's domain. And I, I really think um, that if you are a person acting this way, acting like um, a, a dodgy Christian, I, I honestly think it's because you lack this revelation about your salvation. And that is that Jesus, yes, Jesus saved you because he loved you. Amen. Like Jesus saves us because he loves us, but there's more to it than that. Jesus saved you also to present you. Jesus saved you to present you. I'm going to explain that more in a moment, but um, I just want to use a bit of a, uh, an illustration here. I'm not sure if anyone has seen the show Nailed It before on Netflix. 
it's like a cooking show, but the difference between this show and other cooking shows is the contestants on most cooking shows, like MasterChef and those, um, the contestants, they're passionate about cooking and they're good at cooking. Where on this show, they're passionate, but they're not good at cooking. They're not talented. And what happens is they get presented with this amazing cake or whatever it is, and they need to go and replicate that or, or reflect it. But so often they miserably fall short and they stuff up. And we've actually got some examples. I'm not sure if this is going to show up for the people watching online, so I'm going to try and explain it. Um, so maybe we can get some examples on the screen. So here we have a cake of Donald Trump, like a professionally done one, and then someone had to go off and replicate it, and that's what they came up with. Um, it is a cross between a zombie and an Oompa Loompa. I'm not sure what you'd call it but it doesn't look good. We've got another example. It's a shark cake. Um, so very impressive. It's pretty gruesome, actually. I didn't realize, but that shark is eating a person. Um, so we have a shark cake, a lot of detail, very impressive. And they went away <laughs> to try and replicate it. And that is just no good. That, that's a mushy cake. And lastly, we've got a, a final example. And here we have Olaf. Okay, from Frozen, amazing cake. Maybe as a parent, you've gone away, you tried to make a nice cake for your child's birthday before, and maybe your cake ended up looking more like the one on the right, um, reality, and that's a pretty scary looking Olaf there. So, uh, yes, as you can see, it seems to be a part of our human condition that when we try and replicate something that's perfect, we fall way short, right? And we just make a mess of it. And did you know that when you gave your life to Jesus, when you became saved... All of a sudden, you had a new goal for your life. I'm not sure what it was before, but you started a new life and now you have a new goal. And that goal was to become more like Jesus. It was to reflect Jesus, replicate him in your life to other people. I want to ask you the question, how well are you going at reflecting Jesus in your life? What do people see when they see your life? Is it a good example of the original or is it a mess, like where you're at at the moment? Now, before you beat yourself up and feel guilty, which I'm sure some of you are maybe feeling right now, you've got to understand this, and that is your very best day, your very best efforts are going to fall miserably short when it comes to reflecting Jesus, because Jesus is just so perfect. So your very best efforts are going to fall miserably short your very best day is going to be far worse than the saddest example that, that you just saw. It's going to fall miserably short to that. Now, Paul talks to the Colossians about this, and, and this is what he says in chapter 1, 21 to 22. He says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you so that's the presenting, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So how does that work? The Apostle Paul saying is that you are going to be presented and you will be found holy, blameless, above reproach. But I don't know what you're thinking now. Maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking, and that is that but I am falling miserably short here. My life is a mess compared to Jesus. So how could I be standing there before the Father and be found holy, blameless, and above reproach? How does that work? And the way that it works is through justification. So when Jesus died for you, when Jesus was nailed to that cross, he died for all of your past, present, future sins. You have been forgiven. How incredible. But at the same time, and Pastor Ben explains this very well, at the same time, we have now been given 
the perfect life of Jesus. And we wear that around us. You may not be able to see it in the physical, but in the spiritual, we're we're wearing the perfect life of Jesus. So when we stand before the Father one day and are presented to him by Jesus, your Father in heaven will look at you through a lens and that lens will be the perfect life of Jesus. How awesome is that? And now this would have been very encouraging for the Colossians to hear. The reason being is that they are living um, in a town that uh, is, honestly, it's pretty terrible. It's a pagan god, anti-Jesus, worshipping town. There would have been a lot of social pressures, pressures, a lot of temptations, and therefore it would have been very hard to replicate Jesus in their life. So to hear that they are justified, not by by their actions or their doings, but by faith, that would have been an amazing thing to hear. And we also need to remember that you are justified by faith. Okay, you are justified by faith. However, there is another thing that I need to mention here. If our, if our revelation of salvation stops there, then what can happen is that we can fall into the trap of thinking that God is okay with our sin. Now, God actually doesn't want us to come to a place um, where we think that he's okay with the sin in our life. He wants us to change, yeah? He wants us to get used to this new life, our new identity, Now, here's the thing that you need to understand about your salvation that Paul talks about, and that is that, yes, saved people, we we are justified, but at the same time, saved people act different. Saved people act different than the people in the world. Saved people, people who belong to the kingdom of Jesus, they act different to the people who belong to the kingdom of Satan. Saved people act different. Saved people don't act different in order to get their salvation. Our salvation causes us to act different. Saved people act different. I remember when I was uh, younger, my grandparents, they had a fruit farm. Now, there's a word for this. I looked it up. It's called an orchard. So they had an orchard. And uh, on this orchard, it was pretty small. Um, Some people in the room will remember it, some of my family, but there was uh, some different types of fruit trees. Now, throughout most of the year, you would have no idea what they were because they look so similar, yeah? They just look, they look very similar. Um, But there would be a season, a time when they would start to bear fruit and then all of a sudden it would give away the type of tree that it is. Like the plum trees, they produced plums. The apple trees, they produced apples. The apricot trees, they produced Apricots. I think one person said apples then, but we're getting there. Come on, it's good. So, so, so the type of tree, it, it can't hide. When it starts producing fruit, it reveals what it is. As followers of Jesus, we can't really hide, right? If we are, are genuinely have a relationship with Jesus, if we're saved, we will start to produce fruit in our life. The reality of our salvation will start to become evident to the world around us. Saved people, we act different. But I just want to pause for a moment and mention this because I think it's very important. And that is we need to be very, very careful at looking at other people and, and, try, and judging whether or not they're saved based on how they're acting. Now, this is why. Because it's not about fruit in a moment that reveals a person's salvation. It's fruit over time. Like if I looked at one of those trees in the wrong season, I would have seen nothing. And I could have made a judgment about that tree not really knowing. It's fruit over time. You don't know where someone started. 
You don't know where someone started. So you've got to be so careful if you're judging other people and how close they are to Jesus and, you know, whether or not they're saved based on their actions and behaviours because it's fruit over time. We change over time. We're all on a journey. You don't know where that person started. So as Christians, as followers of Jesus at Bright Church, what do we do? We encourage. We lift people up. You know, we don't judge others, but we, we lift each other up. We encourage one another just to take a step forward. So the Apostle Paul says this um, about this topic that I'm talking about, but bearing fruit. And there's something really interesting that he says, and I believe that this is a real catalyst in order to produce fruit in your life. And this is what he says in verses 9 to 14 in chapter 2. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its illegal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross i want to emphasize verse 12 paul says you have been buried we have been buried when we gave our life to jesus two things happened there was new life and death at the same time like do you understand that literally the old you if you've given your life to jesus it is dead it is buried it is done with. And this is why baptism is so significant. And if you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. Because what baptism symbolizes, it's your, your dying. The old you is dying. The, the old you with, with, with the old behaviors, that is dying. And you are raising you. Okay, so when you go under the water, that is, that is you being buried. That's you dying. And then when you come up out of the water, that's representing your new life in Jesus. You're raising up from the dead, just like Jesus rose up from the dead and you start a new life. That is why baptism is so important. Now, I've noticed for me, and I think this is a universal truth, that if you want to see more fruit in your life, if you want to be more like Jesus, and I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus. If you want to be more like Jesus, you need to make sure that old you stays buried. Right? It's when you start to entertain the old you, when you start to act like the old you, when you kind of give that thing a little bit of life, that's when you start to stop seeing fruit in your life. People who produce a lot of fruit are the people, they're dead to themselves. Right? They've allowed the old, old them to stay buried. It's dead. It's gone. So we really need to understand this when it comes to us actually bearing fruit in our lives and behaving um, how we should behave, behaving like people who belong to God's kingdom, you know, with our new identity, our identity within Jesus. So I think the question now becomes, what does our new self? So we've been buried, we, we've, we've raised again like Jesus did. So after salvation, so what does our new self now do that our old self didn't do? Like what? What is the distinguishing factor? What is the litmus test to determine whether or not we are actually living in line with our new self? Now, the Apostle Paul doesn't go on and give a big list of certain behaviors we should do and shouldn't do in this letter. Instead, he focuses on one key thing. This is one key thing that people do if they're saved. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it online? <laughs> so the key thing that saved people do 
is that saved people look up and prioritize the eternal things over the temporal things. Saved people look up. When I was younger, I used to go on car trips. And on these car trips, sometimes I would feel sick, but I would never throw up. Yes. And the reason I would never throw up is because I got some advice from my parents what to do when I start to feel sick. Maybe, maybe you know what the advice is. The first thing, wind down the window, get some fresh air. The second thing is to look up and fix your eyes on something that isn't moving. Often the clouds, something off way off in the distance. What I've come to realize is that when we fix our eyes on things off in the distance, things that aren't moving, in other words, eternal things, when we fix our eyes on eternal things, it prevents spiritual and emotional sickness. We've got to fix our eyes on the eternal things, the things that are above the horizon, not the things that are happening all around us. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the Colossians in chapter 3, 1 to 3. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Come on, what do we do? We, we set our eyes on the things that are above. That is the distinguishing thing that saved people do. And now there are a whole bunch of benefits to doing this, everybody. Here are a few. The first thing is you will be more consistent in life. Consistency, it's an underrated word. It is so important. All the bosses in the room are like, amen. Consistency is what it's all about. Now, the reason that people who focus um, on things that are above, the reason they're more consistent is because uh, they get less spiritually and emotionally sick. Okay, so the first thing is consistent. The second thing is that you become more resilient. Why are you more resilient in life when you are focusing on things that are above? Well, it's because you understand that a reward is coming. Now, that reward may not come in this life, but oh man, it is coming. Eternity with Jesus in paradise. I'll, I'll take that. How good is that? that? That can get me through the worst day. That can get me through the worst thing. That can get me through the sickness that I'm facing. That can get me through the relationship breakdown that I'm struggling through. Gosh, that can get me through the fact that right now I don't have a job and financially I'm struggling. The fact that I know Jesus and I'm going to be spending billion upon billion upon billion years with him in paradise. Come on, that's going to get me through. That's going to make me resilient. The other thing is that we become more generous and also more selfless when we're focusing on things that are above. Why is that? Because we understand that everything in this life, absolutely everything, has an expiry date. Everything our money, our house, our job, yep. our sickness, yep. everything, like literally everything has an expiry date. We can't take anything with us where we're headed after we die. Nothing. And not only that, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth one day. Everything has an expiry date. And when you start to understand that, gosh, what, what does that produce? That just produces a really generous, selfless person. Because you're like, you know what, I can't take anything with me. There's going to be a new heaven, new earth. Gosh, like, man, my money, whatever. I'll be generous with it. My life, I'll be generous with my time. That's what starts to happen when you're prioritizing the eternal things over the temporal things. You know, I believe salvation is at the heart of what it means to look up. 
looking up, prioritizing the eternal things, I believe at the heart of that is focusing on your salvation through Jesus. To look up is to focus on your salvation, and I believe it transcends everything that you could possibly encounter. The whole reason Paul wrote this letter is to remind the Colossians of this very simple and yet profound truth. And that is that our salvation can sustain us. Salvation is enough for us. Salvation comes through Jesus. In fact, Jesus knowing him, that is salvation. And therefore, Jesus is enough for us. Jesus is enough for you. There was this really significant moment in mine and Amy's relationship. Amy is my wife. There was this really significant moment before we got married when we were dating. And it was actually, in the time, it felt terrible. And that was because we were broken up. But it was actually really significant. And let me explain. There was a moment when we were broken up that actually God, God really spoke to Amy in particular. And um, she came to the realisation that she didn't need me. And all the ladies said, Amen. <laughs> right? Amy came to the realisation that whether it works out with me or not, she's going to be all good. Why? Because she's got everything that she needs. She's got Jesus. And I believe that God is wanting to bring absolutely all of us to that place where we realise that we actually have everything that we need in Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is that when she came to that place, days later, God spoke to me. And like sometimes God speaks to us in really profound and straightforward ways. There are times when we guess, is that God's voice? And there's other times where it's like, that is God's voice. And God spoke to me very specifically and he said, it would please me for you to marry her. Now, I had no idea that Amy had just come to this place where she's like, I don't need Matt anymore. <laughs> but I find it so interesting that God was waiting for that. Like God was actually waiting for both of us to come to this place where we didn't need each other so that we would then be perfect for each other. We need to understand that God, that Jesus, our salvation in Him, that is everything that we need. And that is such a strong theme in this letter that Paul is writing. And he's trying to get that into the hearts of the Colossians. And the reason is, is because they are facing a lot of hard stuff. I already mentioned that there's a lot of social pressures. It's very difficult, but I didn't mention why. And the reason why is because the people in that town, they worship pagan gods. And the way that it would work is that they would attribute everything that's happening to them as whether or not the gods are happy with us or not. So if there's sickness in the town, if there's a lack of food, a lack of crops, whatever it is, if bad things are happening, they're going to be thinking, gosh, the gods must be angry with us. Now, they would have been connecting the dots and realizing that, gosh, things are going bad. It must be the Christian's fault. Why? Because they're, they're following Jesus. They're worshiping this Jesus. They're not worshiping our gods and that's making our gods angry. They're not coming along to our sacrifices. They're not coming along to our worship services to our gods. And therefore, it's all their fault. Let's get them. Essentially, that's what was happening. Could you imagine the anxiety, the fear that you would carry every single day if the entire world was blaming you literally for everything bad that was happening? That would have been a very, very, very hard environment for you to raise a family. That would have been a very hard environment 
for you to live in. And, you know, I don't know, I kind of feel like we're heading into some pretty scary territory. And more than ever, we need to understand that regardless of what we face, Jesus is enough. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul summarizes this theme in this amazing little sentence. And he says, In Christ you have been brought to fullness. In Christ you have been brought to fullness. In Christ, through salvation, you have everything that you need. When the, He's saying to the Colossians, When you first gave your life to Jesus, you knew that Jesus was everything that you need. And now, I don't know about you, but maybe when you first gave your life to Jesus... Maybe you knew that he was everything that you need, but then over time, you start to think that you need other things. The whole purpose of what Paul is saying to the Colossians, what I'm trying to communicate today and what I believe God is saying to us is that, guys, Jesus is still enough. Nothing, nothing has changed. He's still enough for you. He's enough for you. What I want to do is I want to invite everyone to stand up and I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for two groups of people. The first group of people are those who feel as though, honestly, you've become a little bit desensitized to the amazing miracle of your salvation. And you know if that's you, because it's all in your head. It's like, you know, you're saved. You know, you have eternity to look forward to, but on the inside, it doesn't bring you the peace, the excitement and the joy that it should on your worst day. So I wanna pray for you if that's where you feel you are at the moment. The other group of people that I wanna pray for are those that are really struggling to adjust to the light. So you've given your life to Jesus, you've been on a journey and maybe at the moment, honestly, you feel as though you're not really living in line with your identity. And the reason you're probably gonna feel this and notice it is because you're gonna feel a tension within your soul. Because you know that you belong to the kingdom of Jesus, but you know that you're sinning and doing things that maybe you shouldn't be doing. And there's a tension, there's a war happening inside of you because deep down, you know that you shouldn't be doing that stuff. You know that you should be adjusting more to the light. So I wanna pray for you as well. So if you belong to either of those groups, with every eye closed here, I just want you to raise your hand and then I'm going to pray that God comes and does something in your heart, in your life. Dear God, I pray for every single person who has just put up their hands for one of those two reasons. God, you know where they are at. And Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would just, just move in this room right now, right now, and, and that your Spirit will continue to move in them throughout the coming weeks and months and that they would start to realize just how beautiful, just how amazing their salvation is in Jesus all over again. I pray that it feels like the weeks and the months immediately after they first gave their life to Jesus. I pray that that love, that passion, that fire would come back. I pray that it would burn within them, that it would bring them peace, joy, comfort on the very worst day, God. I pray that you would reignite the flame within them. And God, I also pray for those who are struggling internally at the moment because they're living a lifestyle or doing things and they know it's wrong. They, they know that it doesn't line up with their new identity, with who they are in Jesus. And God, they need to know today that they are saved, that they are justified by faith. But God, you have a better plan for their life than where they currently are and what they're doing. And God, I pray that you would come, God. I pray that you would give them the motivation, the self-discipline, God. God, I pray that you would give them the right revelation that they need of their salvation that's going to help them live in line with, with what you're calling them to. Father, I pray that you would come and there'll just be a fresh 
um, wave of love that would flood over them, that they wouldn't feel guilty, that they wouldn't feel shame, but they would just feel so close to you. And God, out of that closeness would just flow holy living. God, I pray that you would come and just minister to those people. And God, I pray that for us as a church here at Bright, that we would continue to grow in revelation of who you are to us in our lives. For every single one of us, whether we've known you for a day, whether maybe there's people here today who don't know you at all, wherever we are at, whether we've known you for years and years and years, God, wherever we are, Jesus, I pray that you would take us deeper. Take us deeper in the next six months over the course of this year. Every single person in Jesus' name, we are all going deeper. We are all taking a step. And Jesus, you are calling us to a deeper place of revelation of who you are. Jesus, I just pray that you would be with all of us. That you would just move right now in this space when we go into worship, God, that people would just feel your presence tangibly. That they would just know that you're with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.